0: Faded? Cut to Exterior
1: Interior Restaurant Bar Club
0: Day Night check, check. Are we on? Are we on? Oh, okay. So an idea just occurred to us. Actually, no. Our distinguished guest gave us this brilliant idea. If there wasn't Rick's gin joint in the film Casablanca, do you think there will ever be Mos Eisley Cantina in Star Wars? I mean, seriously. Did you ever give that a thought? Oh, shit, I'm sorry. You're actively listening to Restaurant Fiction, your new favorite podcast. We review and talk about the importance of every single fictional restaurant, bar, and club in TV and film. I'm your host, Monis Rose, and on this episode, your new favorite Restaurant Fiction episode, we are bringing along Jerry Ying, who is Jerry... He is the showrunner and director of the hit web series, Quarantine, executive director and co-founder of the production company, Hero LA. But the best fact about Jerry, the number one, is that he knows where to find the best gin martini in all of LA. That there is signed, sealed, delivered, the bare knuckles brass tax reason of why he's on. Here's the review of Rick's from the movie Casablanca and our chit chat with Jerry Ying. Go. <music> Guys, Rush on Fiction, we have a travel fund. And we traveled to Morocco. More specifically, we traveled to the city Casablanca. Now, when in the city of Casablanca, of all the cities across the world, you need to stop in Casablanca for a drink. That's right. A real thick drink. And when you're choosing a bar, don't just choose any bar in Casablanca. Like, choose a bar where the dress code is strict, where you're going to put on a tux. That's right. Not not even a three-piece suit cuts it like a tux. If you're with a significant other or a date, what have you, she, or if it is a he, puts on a cocktail gown. When you walk into this bar, you want there to be a haze. And I'm talking like something of just pure cigarette smoke, something that brings it back to the noir days, you know? Because to restaurant fiction, you see the haze mixed in with the dim light of places like this just adds to the sexiness. It adds to the romance. Now, when we choose a bar in Casablanca, We don't choose a bar with a jukebox. No, no. Maybe in America, maybe if we were going to the brig or to, uh, you know, a cowboy bar. But no, when we're in Casablanca, we're in a tux. We want a piano player. We want a piano player that just sings that song that either brings a smile on your face or makes you cry, but really just you swoon over. I don't care if you're into music or not. You still swoon over. Oh, and then... The drink. See, we're on a plane ride for a very long time. We don't, we're not looking for some sugary, tiki bar crap. No offense. We do like the brain freezes every once in a while or the brain washes or whatever the brain thing, the Mai Tai's, what have you. No, but we're in Casablanca. We want gin because this is called Rick's Cafe Americane, a.k.a. Rick's Gin Joint, and they make the best gin imaginable. I'm sorry, Brits. I'm sorry, English. You just don't have the skills like Rick does. This gin is so straight. It is so smooth. It's like the Michael Jackson song, Smooth Criminal. Now, we love all the aspects of Rick's Cafe American, including the gin. We especially like that the owner, proprietor, is always there on the lookout making sure everything is up to snuff. Plus, he likes to come around, he likes to drink with you. But then, when always a dame walks in, though, he does lose his focus, and so do we. Anyway, that is our quick little review of Rick's Cafe Americaine from the movie Casablanca. We are talking to Jerry Ying- Jerry, what do you have to add? What do you have to say? What is your take on that little review?
1: Go. It uh, makes me really want to have a cigarette with
0: the gin in my hand right now. Of all the bars you've either been a part of, you've traveled to, you have frequented, which one reminds you of, actual, of an actual Ricks? Like, do you have an actual Ricks Cafe Americane experience in your life? Wow. All right. Well, what's interesting, I'll answer this in two parts.
1: The bar that it reminds me of the most is Spy Bar in New York mid nineties. It was the spot in New York. Nobody got in. It was the same people. If you knew the doorman, you were in, and it was the scene. You'd have Mick Jagger. You had the models. You had it was the, it was the transition from rock and roll to hip hop in New York City, and it was the spot downtown in Soho. So, and I remember going there like you're not getting in you don't get in you go in once with a group and then they don't remember you and then eventually you become part of that family you felt super part of something special and it was and any og new yorker that was part of the scene will tell you that spy bar was the spot sunday through sunday
0: strict dress code and all
1: zero dress code you just had to be cool I mean, I've gone in there with like a tank top, basketball shorts, but literally you'd be there. It would be like Tommy Lee, you know, crazy cross section of New York fashion, music, entertainment. And it was still in the period back then where money couldn't buy you into any place. It was pre bottle service, pre, Hey, I've got a lot of money. Let me buy a table. This was purely based on your cachet in the city. Either you were part of the scene or you weren't part of the scene and Rick's. Feels a little bit like that to me. You know, there's a scene in the movie where the guy shows up, and I think he's a banker or somewhere, and he gives Rick a card, and then Rick rips up the card and says, your money's no good at my bar. But that's how it was. Madonna was turned away from the place, I remember, and that made page six. I mean, people were turned away. And so if you got in, it didn't mean you were more important than anyone else. It just meant you were part of the family. And if you didn't treat the family right, and you came in with the wrong vibe, even if you were famous, you were turned away.
0: So in a way, you were tough like Rick. Like, you had to uh, fend for yourself sometimes.
1: I mean, yeah, it's really easy to be tough when you have security. (laughs) However, (laughs) I mean, there was one time, like, I didn't bartend for too long in New York before I just started my career in entertainment, I guess. But there was one bar called Luna Park. It's in Union Square. It's in the middle of Union Square. It's the only bar of its kind. It was owned by the people who own the coffee shop, which is another famous restaurant bar, but in the summer everyone goes to the Hamptons, so Thursday night at Luna Park was the spot. One night, one of the bartenders showed up, flashed a bag of mushrooms at the other four bartenders, and it's busy. When I say busy, it's like you're doing about $30,000 worth of business in about four hours. That's, it's like club busy from 6 p.m. to midnight, and then the city ordinance shuts it down. So it's like a mad dash five deep at the bar for Six hours, and then you're done. And you make like $500 a night. But this one night, this one dummy bartender flashes a bag of mushrooms. I don't know if this can make the podcast, but flashes a bag of mushrooms at us. The two of us, me and my friend Jason, are in the middle of the bar, and we're just shaking our head like, no. And he's shaking his head the other way like, yes. And then he proceeds to eat them. Being young, I don't know, I think I was like 24, 25 at the time, we were like, we're not letting you do this to us. So we all ate them. And proceeded to have one of the craziest evenings behind the bar you ever saw. Everyone was in their own vibe. Me and my friend Jason were having the best time of our lives in the middle of the bar. But we couldn't stop dropping bottles. out of, They were slipping out of our hands. Everyone was making us laugh. One guy was getting cut. He was bloody. He, could, he couldn't stop cutting himself. Cut his hand, bleeding. Cut the top of his head on the ceiling fan, reaching for liquor, bleeding. And then the one that ate him was like just angry. He was just yelling at people the whole time. And then there was a fight. We jumped over. So, so it was that whole, it was a whole thing. And then when we looked up, we still had five hours to go. And it became the longest night of my life, probably. Over the good of the mushrooms and into the back nine. And still with an entire evening of work ahead of us.
0: Rick's Cafe, you know, first of all, why does it resonate with you so much? Is it because of your Ann Arbor and Jamaica days? Or is it even above that, beyond that? It doesn't
1: resonate to me on any of those things because those things are all derivative of me loving the film. My experience with the movie is so interesting because, and it's ironic because I'm in film now and I produce films. But when I was younger, I wasn't. I was in grad school to try to take my career path towards medicine and be a doctor. So I was in New York, but if you said to me black and white film, I'd just be like, why bother watching that's kind of who I was when I was a young person. I was not a, a cinephile. I loved movies, but I was not a lover of film in that way. I remember being at my girlfriend's, at the time, apartment. She had gone to work, and she had Casablanca in a VHS tape. And I put it in, and I literally feel like my life transformed after I watched the film. Because, first of all, it's an incredible film. And it's incredibly funny. The writing is so funny. It was originally a play. I don't know if you know that. It was originally a play called something like Everybody Comes to Rick's. Something like that. But it's really funny. It's my sense of humor. It's my type of people. But more importantly, you watch that film, you start recognizing a line every 10 minutes. A famous line you've heard in life. And you're like, that came from this film. This film is littered with some of the best lines in history that I didn't even know were part of the movie Casablanca. Here's looking at you, kid. We'll always have Paris, you know? Or this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Like, it's littered throughout the film. So when you're watching it, and if you've never seen it, your face would just light up with, like, knowing where all these beautiful lines in life came from. And so that was the beginning of me really enjoying that movie and why it's my favorite film of all time, really.
0: And how does Rick's Cafe Enhance Casablanca. How does it enhance the characters and the world? Oh, I think it's so interesting because it forces the whole world to be in one space One
1: room and it's so zeitgeist kind of what's going on now. It almost feels like a neutral territory All sorts of walks of life are under Everyone's in this roof. There's young people trying to make it to freedom trying to get to Lisbon so they can you know fly away from and get out of Europe You have political factions, you have business, people doing deals left and right, you have love. That's another thing. I mean, Casablanca is one of the greatest romantic stories ever told of sacrifice for love, but it all happens under this one area and that's not easy in this day and age. It's like you dream of making a film under one roof just to save money for locations you can only have three or four characters. There are hundreds of people in this movie and I don't know how many storylines. Seven to a dozen storylines and characters.
0: It's incredible. They were able to make it all happen at Rick's. And it's transient. Why do you think, though, a gin joint versus a restaurant versus a palace? Why a gin joint? Well, one, it sounds cool. (laughs) It sounds...
1: And honestly, I'm drinking a lot of gin these days, so... It's come full circle because I I hated gin for two dozen years, and now I'm on gin. I think a bar is interesting because a restaurant, the power is in the diner. In a restaurant, the customer is always right. And I alluded to it earlier. In a bar, the commodity is the alcohol. The owner is the gatekeeper. And in that sense, Humphrey Bogart's character is the gatekeeper to, to these exit visas. And Rick, who he plays, is the man that's sort of controlling the fates of a lot of different people. What better way than someone who's controlling the alcohol? In a place like that too, people can sort of loosen up a little bit and relax and they're there to have a good time as opposed to a restaurant or something else where it's a little more cliquish and you have the music. It's a bar, you know, in that scene where you have the Germans singing their song and then they do the French Marseille song and they battle. It's really just a microcosm. I mean, think... At the end of the day, everyone's human. I mean, just because you're wearing different uniforms. You know, I think just to build on your last question, being in a bar makes us all... You know, there's a line in the movie where they ask him what he is, and Rick goes, I'm a drunkard. And when you're in a bar, you're not Italian, German, American. You're somebody who's having a drink, and we might be able to have a drink together. Sort of a common denominator. And so while their moral fiber and when these other issues come up, and they do come up in the film, but when you walk in there, you're just another guy looking for a drink or another guy looking to meet a girl who's having a drink or to gamble because there's gambling there too. I mean, like, Rick's is literally the best place on the planet. (laughs) Beautiful women gambling, amazing drinks, and everyone looks incredible. I mean, how
0: important really is Rick's Cafe to Casablanca? I mean, can you have Casablanca without Rick's Cafe? I think you can. Really? Tell me more. I mean, you have the Blue
1: Parrot, who ends up buying it. I think what makes Rick special is Rick. What makes Rick's American Cafe special is Rick. Otherwise, it's just another bar. It's like, why do some restaurants fail and some succeed? Why do some bars succeed and some fail? It's all about who's the Rick. He was interesting because he was all business, never had drinks with people. There's gambling, but he doesn't take sides. But then he's sympathetic to different causes. He's what made it special. People went there for Rick, not because of what the place looked like. And I suspect the guy, I think his name is uh, Ferrari. He owns the Blue Parrot, and I know Rick sells it to him. They keep Sam on as the music guy. Music's a huge part. So Sam's like the house band. If the house band's good enough, people probably come back. But if you change ownership, the vibe certainly changes. And I think that's true of any business. Any business, any sports team,
0: any restaurant. What's your favorite failure? And what I mean by that is, what's a failure in your career that actually set you up for ladder success? In hindsight, like this had to happen. I needed to fall down here because then either this opportunity came, I met this person,
1: what have you. I think it's so interesting because one of my biggest lessons on a daily basis draw from my experience as an actor for 15, 20 years. But probably the most important one was just sheer rejection. Being rejected three times a day, every day of the week for 15 years, with the booking here and there, a TV show here, a film there, that to me was the greatest lesson of all time because, you know, when you're a young actor in this town and every young actor has a story or new actor, let's say, your first big audition within your first year or two before you're fully sort of seasoned a little bit in this town, You think you mess up an amazing audition, like a great opportunity, and you spend an hour in your car with your head on the steering wheel in the Warner Brothers parking lot or Sony lot or CB. Like, I don't care what lot it is. You've sat in that car and cursed yourself for saying, why didn't I say this? Why didn't I respond this way? And then you end up learning that you think you ruined your chances with that casting director. But guess what? They always call you back. And then you'll go back a month later. And then you'll screw that one up as well. And I've done that. And I've literally just been like, you should quit the business because you suck. And then they call you back again a month later. And they call you back and back and back again until they put you on the show. And that has happened to me with at least three TV shows. And the lesson from that is something that I kind of live by now, which is the term next. I just don't even, you stay super present, you handle your business, and you move on. No does not mean no to me. No means actually nothing to me. No, you didn't get that job. Great. Next. Like literally means nothing to me. And if you think it's your only opportunity to have a first impression, you're wrong. Maybe with a girlfriend. In the romantic way, yes, (laughs) you mess up that first time, you're done. But in a business perspective or in the arts, it's not true. The next time you come around, you will have grown. Maybe you'll have done something more of note, and they're going to be just as excited to see you. And it's never as big as you think it is, that failure. It's kind of a weird backdoor way to answer your question because I don't look at anything anymore as a real big failure. They're all
0: just moments moving to the next moment, to the next moment. Anything you would like to add, or is there a question that I'm not asking? You know,
1: I'm I'm a little surprised that you, Manas, I have to tell you. Because I know you're a Star Wars fan And I'm surprised you didn't make the connection between the cantina in Star Wars to Rick's American cafe because I don't know this for a fact But I'm a hundred percent certain that George Lucas was inspired by Rick's cafe That is where everyone from the galaxy showed up. That's where all the deals were made. That's where Han Solo that's where, Boba F- that's where all the deals were made And a lot of the fun was had. It it, it was like a hub of transience in the universe. And that's what Rick's Cafe was as well. People coming through town, moving through town, on their way to freedom. And honestly, this is another thing. And Star Wars, I think, is another perfect movie for it. Casablanca is a film about refugees. In this day and age, those stories. And so when I watched it again, I did watch this in preparation for this. And I loved it as much as I loved it the first time, but it was hitting me in a definitely a different way, considering where we are. Especially because I am now asking for immigration and exploring Europe in terms of um, pathways to citizenship. And now I understand when all my friends in New York were trying to figure out their green card situations, overstaying their work visas, marrying Americans. Now I understand. Because it may be time to get out of America. (laughs)
0: Where can people find you? Any shout outs? These are the plugs. These are the selfish plugs. uh, Tell all of us. Yeah. And your work. Where can they watch your work? All of that. Well, my company
1: is here. This Tuesday, the SAG-AFTRA, they're hosting a panel and they're actually doing a behind the scenes panel on our show quarantine because everything we did, we delivered 25 episodes during the pandemic was to raise money for the sag After Foundation COVID-19 Relief Fund. So that's the shout-out I'd like to give, was that artists are in need as well. You know, we can only do what we can do in the way that we can help. And the way I wanted to help was make a series, and make a TV show, and use that to sort of support the foundation, which at one point did help me in my life. There was one down year, I think it was during the writer strike. They helped me. And I remember writing to them, I hope to be able to give back someday. And it was with great pride and joy that I made that series for the foundation. This coming Tuesday, they're doing a live panel. Gabrielle Cartieris is moderating from 90210, the Peach Pit. She's the president of SAG, AFTRA. still weird. I still have to add the AFTRA part. I noticed that's SAG, it's SAG AFTRA. And so we'll be doing a live panel there on the challenges of shooting a show remotely during the lockdown. Outside of that, you can find me in my backyard. Quarantining and staying safe and social
0: distancing like everybody else, and drinking some dry martinis. Monkey Forty Seven, yeah, digging it. That's That's right. right. Great. All right, thank you, Jerry. This is this was awesome, man. My
1: pleasure, man. It's been really fun to be here. Cheers.
0: Thank you, Jerry. We had a blast and can't wait to have you back on in 2021. For all of you who want to know more about Jerry and his work please do yourself a favor and watch his YouTube web series, Quarantine. It's funny with heart, just like he said, a true labor of love. And check out his company, Hero LA. Go to the website, HeroLA.xyz. That's H-E-R-O-L-A.xyz. He's also on Instagram, at T-R-U-E-Y-I-N-G. As for us at Restaurant Fiction, Give us a shout-out in the comments or on Twitter. We are at Restaurant Thick. Yeah, Twitter only has uh, cuts us off at the FIC, so it's just Restaurant Thick. Let us know what is going right and what needs to be improved upon. We love, love, love your feedback. That's the only way how we get better. Until next time, I'm Monis Roves, and keep it real, keep it fresh, and keep it on the flip side. Cook to exterior interior
1: restaurant bar
0: club Day Night